necromancy, time travel curing AIDS and cancer, cursing your enemies, and transferring souls from hell to heaven are just a few of the powers that this black magic cult of death worshippers of Kali claim to harness. The rituals to attain them just shed the illusions of the world, vanity, greed, lust, and desire through coprophagia, cannibalism, and necrophilia. To put it more clearly, this Indian cult fucks and eats the dead. Oh, and everyone gets their own skull. Human skull. This grim motherfucker is the slightly terrifying extreme story of the Aguri Sadas. Holy men of death. You're listening to grim, explicit histories, grim topics, extreme, dark histories, folklore, and the paranormal for mature audiences. We keep it real. We keep it educational, thought-provoking, like a motherfucker. I'm Joe Woji, and this is grim. Your friend and confidant, R-rated motherfucker of the macabre, grim professor of world history and culture, Joe Woji, historian co-host, Brittany Smith, cultural anthropologist, Sylvanius R. Dustin Cushman. So there's like 25,000 of these motherfuckers running around half drunk, fucked up, naked, but for the paint and ashes of the dead that they cover themselves in all over Northeast India, Nepal, some in Southeast Asia, sporadically populating, people are absolutely terrified of them. Some people are. But, I mean, this isn't like the small Charlie Manson family here. I mean, to put it in perspective, there's enough of these motherfuckers to fill a big stadium or a small city. So, to give you a couple of grim cities, maybe, that they could fill, you know, for your perspective at home... Vicksburg City in Mississippi, Ferguson, Missouri, Columbine, Colorado, they would fill these cities up. Literally, it's half the size of Frederick the Great's army, or half the size of Alexander the Great's army as well, if you just look at the loyal Macedonians that were following him. This is a mass of individuals here that we're talking about. So, I mean, I'm not sensationalizing it. These are small cities, but they are cities. So, picture every person covered in human ash, naked, fucking a corpse. You'd think it was some kind of fucked up indie film that you were living in, but for real. You come to us for the craziest shit that we can find, and we scour the earth for that, for you. This is the most grim collective of motherfuckers today. I mean, there was a reporter, Raza Aslan, who went to try to go live amongst these people. He's a CNN guy, actually. They made him eat brains like fucking human brains threatened to cut his head off if he didn't shut up and stop asking like reporter type questions but you know he's a reporter and i mean they weren't to like a nice chianti and fava beans you know they were like straight from dude's skull but yo that reporter is like my new favorite guy reza aslan man you rock brother brains <laughs> respect yeah, so the CNN miniseries Believer, which covers different fringe religious sects from around the world, uh, premiered in 2017, and their first episode talked about the Agori, so that's where the reporter comes from. He was reporting for that miniseries Believer that 
our audience can watch online. You may have also heard of the Agori from a older National Geographic show uh, called Taboo. They did an episode on some of their rituals and practices with the dead. There's also been a couple books that have been published by members of the Agori who have revealed parts of the religion, not necessarily all the sacred rituals that they perform, but there's the Agora, a biographical novel that came out in 2017 in English, and there's the Agora Trilogy by Robert E. Sabota that was uh, first published in 1986. So there have been different episodes and books that have been published on them, but it's very much not a well-known religious sect. Yeah, I think you're looking at like 20 and a half thousand people in India where the main brunt of these people are. They are like if you look at like the Hindu religion itself, you know, you have a bunch of different castes. You have four castes and like a thousand jati or in other words, like subcategories of castes. And these guys are like the untouchables. They're outside the caste system. They're like the lowest of the low. But some people actually choose to do this and the whole purpose is that in buddhism in hinduism you want to reach moksha or nirvana like they're heaven in a way and this is supposed to like tantra be a fast track to get there because they say like in buddhism and hinduism under the best case scenario you're not getting to nirvana for like three lifetimes you have to live birth rebirth transmigration of the soul and so under the best case scenario, three lifetimes, it'll take you to get to Nirvana. This is supposed to get you there quickly, like one lifetime. That's the reason they do all this stuff. Um, but Dustin, Dustin Cushman, my my content expert for anthropology. Let's let's talk about these guys, the Agori, man. So in traditional uh Indian society and with many Hindu societies, as Joe said, you do have the caste system. And the caste system is made up of four varnas, which basically are the four main castes. And then below them, you've got the untouchables. These castes are divided into everything from the rulers, the priests, the warriors, the merchants, the laborers. The untouchables, or sometimes called the outcasts, are, like Joe said, the lowest of the low. And it's all about Again, rebirth. It's all about the karmic system. You want to break free from the cycle of rebirth and get to moksha or nirvana. And for most of the varnas, uh, doing anything that ultimately would pollute you, such as touching a dead animal, cleaning latrines, sweeping the streets, dealing with garbage, and definitely handling dead bodies was negative karma for you. That was bad. It would bring you down. But as an outcast, that's what was expected of you. So that actually generates good karma for you. But again, it'll take you several lifetimes to break out of this this chain of rebirth. And so with the Agori, they believe that and we'll get into it, that this idea of purification, of purification and pollution, of purity and pollution is just nonsense. It's, you know, something that, you know, has been ingrained in these people's minds. And Hinduism very much does have a component of you've got the purified and you've got the soiled. And again, the outcasts do everything that's soiled. The Agori just take it to the next level and say, we're going to do all the filth, floor and filth, and it's going to fast track us to the next world to enlighten basically. I mean, it kind of goes along with the concept of Buddhism and Hinduism insofar as the world is an illusion. All of this shit goes away. You know, your beauty fades. You can't take your money with you. The more attached 
that you are to material things, the more suffering that you will cause yourself. I mean, this is in the main orthodoxy. So, but like you said, Dustin, they just take this to another level and they say like, all right, a sirloin steak and a pile of dung, there should be no distinguishing that. And so the things that they eat are just, well, you know, extreme <laughs> to say the least. They basically eat what you shouldn't eat. I mean, they literally mixed crap in with their food. They, f- they drink out of human skulls that have been like cut open and turned into these cups, which are often pictured in uh, photograph or well, not photographs, paintings and images of the various Hindu gods like Shiva and Kalima have these skull cups and some of the iconography of them. So they're like, well, we're going to drink out of these skull caps too. I mean, they hang out in the, the, the charnel grounds. They like hang out in the Ganges river, which is where they dispose of dead bodies a lot of the time. But that's so. supposed to be a sacred river. It is. It's, it's supposed, supposed to, be a, to purify yeah. you. But but people that can't afford a be, you know a, a proper funeral pyre because the, the wood is pretty expensive yeah. there, and the and the rituals are they'll put they'll float the bodies down the Ganges to symbolically kind of purify that body. But it's on the cheap. And here are the Aguris. They're like, oh, bodies. Yeah, they're just like, <laughs> well, we're going to catch it and take it because that's one of the that's one of the aspects of their belief. You know, they worship Shiva. They worship Shiva's one of Shiva's mates, Kalima, and Shiva and Kalima are supposed to dwell in some stories in charnel grounds, in cemeteries, and everything that's thrown away and cast away by society, they grab. So the Argori are like, well, that's what Shiva does. So we're just going to, you put the body in the river, we're just going to, you know, fish it out and, you know, take it and build a little altar to it and maybe have some sex on it and, you know, do some other stuff to it. And it takes you, well, some of them only study for like six months, but um, they usually try to study for like 10, 12 years. It's not an easy thing to actually become an Aguri. You've got to go through all of this ritual process, one of which is each Aguri has to have their own skull. Like you said, you drink booze out of it. They get to smoke weed and opium and stuff, and they're always like half drunk, but they drink booze out of it, but then they also eat out of it. They beg out of it, that skull that is, but they carry it everywhere that they go. And when they have sex with these corpses, it's usually at midnight, they'll grab a corpse out of the Ganges, the, or or they'll go to to one of the cremation grounds, and they'll catch the oils from the burning humans, and they'll use them as as curatives. They'll put the ashes of the dead all over themselves. But when they have this um, these rituals of sex with these corpses, it's to drumming, it's to chanting mantras, and it's it's usually at midnight, and they cannibalize part of what is usually a putrefying corpse first until they feel that they've had enough to glorify Shiva. And then they have sex with that corpse as well. And then when they're done doing that, they meditate on the corpse itself. I mean, I can't even think of like, you know, all right, if this was in, I don't know, the US or Britain or something like how many mandatory minimum sentencing rules that there would be here, you know, uh, you know, abuse of a corpse and (laughs) scary motherfucker with a corpse or, you know, there'd be like a slew of things, you know, that they would not be able to be around continuously with. But India is a big place and it's not the wealthiest country. And it's a lot of this, um, Outside of Varanasi, which is their main city, uh, they are sought after, actually, by a lot of the rural population for their supposed cures for, like, AIDS, cancer, all, all kinds of things. They're supposed to contact, be able to contact the dead and speak with them. 
they are supposed to be able to do things like levitate, tr- uh, transfer souls from like like a you know a suffering situation to a better situation. At least that's what I saw one of the Aguri say in one of the anthropological videos that I that I saw, which was unusual to me because I'm I'm thinking like, all right, there is no heaven, there is no hell to that religious way of thinking. You know, it's more of a circular thing, like you're born, you're reborn, you're born, you're reborn. Um, but not everything kind of fits in neatly necessarily, I, I suppose. Yeah, with the healing, um, what they believe is that, again, by doing all of these what outsiders might call putrid acts, that it actually is enabling them and giving them power. It is fueling them in a sense, as well as fast tracking them to, you know, breaking out of the cycle of rebirth. But it gives them what they call transformative healing powers, which literally they say that by building up this power within them, they're able then to transfer their own health in a sense to someone who's sick. So you actually find this idea in a lot of cultures around the world. You've got um, what's become very big in America uh, that comes from, you know, the East Reiki healing, which is basically just a form of transferring power from one person to another. In the Junswasi of Africa, you had num healing, which was the exact same thing, this channeling of a force of energy to basically supposedly heal people through touch, through just transferring of energy of power. So it's something that you do see in other cultures around the world. And I think the very first Aguri, I, I mean, they say that these practices go back possibly a thousand years, but back to like the 1600s, um, the first person to actually live as an Aguri, he lived, there's, there's different tales we were saying of either 150 or 170 years old that Baba Kina Ramji um, had, had lived till, but he... When Baba Kina Ramji was born, there's a there's a pretty cool little parable, you know, that kind of goes with it. But he was visited as a baby by three monks, and they believe that these were the incarnations of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, and that he becomes Shiva. But one of the first things as a baby he asked for, he's like, yo, man, give me a fucking hookah. And he, t- he takes a big draw off of the hookah, which rumbles so much that it creates an earthquake. So like, this is like the earliest story of their, you know, the person in Varanasi, uh, the city where their main temple and pilgrimage is to, um, all about him basically. I would say his tomb's there, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And also in the story, um, Shiva in one variation of the story, Shiva appears to him as, Lord Datreya, which I'm probably butchering that name. Um, but one of the things that this Lord does is he actually gives Baba um, not only a piece of his flesh um, to feast upon, but he tells him that this now gives you like clairvoyant powers. So literally from the beginning of the story of this, this group, their origin myth, you know, they've got him eating the flesh of basically a god. But the god Shiva and his female um, counterpart, I, I guess, personification Kali have you seen the the imagery of her yes <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking scary right she's got all the arms and she's like blue and stuff right that's her and the tongue she, yep and the fucking scimitar and yep. she, she's supposed to be the earth mother but as a mother she's extr- so protective of the weak and the downtrodden that she just cuts motherfuckers heads off and the imagery of her she's wearing like human fucking heads like around her neck she's got body parts and shit like for like like all up 
around her body that she's wearing. I mean, she's she's fierce, and the the iconography. I don't know. It's it's, it's well, pretty I just, extreme. I'm, I'm just thinking. I, but didn't Sinbad fight her in one of those old movies? Like there was a statue of her that came to life and <laughs> with all the scimitars and the arms. So that's what I always think about. I would definitely not want to fight her <laughs> yeah. in, under any circumstances. Well, at least according to some of the articles I was reading, they were even saying that the Rolling Stones took inspiration from the iconography of Kali for their for their logo with like the the tongue. Yeah, her tongue is always out in every one of the images that that really is out there of her. But you know what the Aguri look like actually? Like if you picture Tommy Chong, they kind of look like that a little bit, right? Tommy yeah. Chong naked with like a you know ashes though all over him, smoking weed with a skull. Yeah, I mean, they do look like they've got dreadlocks. Uh, they're usually with, naked, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, well, they, in, in a lot of the clips that you find online, they're wearing clothes, probably because, you know, the TV producers had to say, can you put a loincloth on? Like, we don't need to see you naked, or, you know, we don't have, you know, the money to blur you out. So just put a loincloth on. So a lot and of the, the clothes, And those clothes that they wear, they're, they're taken from the dead. Yeah, they, 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 they literally, they're almost extreme Rastafarians in a sense where Rastafarianism and they never does. cut their hair. They, yeah. they stop cutting their hair. So you got motherfuckers that have grown their hair for 40 years. And I mean, it's like 20 foot and shit, you know, and they just braid it out. Like it's massive. Yeah. But like the Rastafarians, they eschew like money, they eschew homes, they eschew all the material things. Cause that again, you Facebook know, that, and social media, yeah, that, that that's not going to get them to, you know, where they want to go. So, Unlike Tietzen Gaitsu, who is the 14th Dalai Lama, who has a great presence on social media, the Aguri have none. <laughs> yeah, and they give up their families too, right? Like if you choose to become an Aguri, I was reading how they, they give up you know, their families. They travel throughout the areas that they're located in. They usually live, like you said earlier, in some type of like graveyards or crematory grounds or... Yeah, and really, um, th that also goes back to the idea of being an outcast uh, in a Hindu society. Um, some of the outcasts, some of the things that they choose to do, even the own outcasts' families will basically outcast them. So, you know, if you choose to become an Aghori, your family, who is also outcast, may say, well, that's even, you know, a, a step, you know, below us. Like, so. But Kali exists everywhere, not yeah. just in Nordstrom. <laughs> I know, but, you know, it, it, it's a very complicated uh, social structure in a sense. So you're going to get a bang for your tuition buck today. Not that you're my students, but this is what I tell my students. The meaning of life to the Buddhists, to the Hindus, basically you have these four noble truths, and they are that life is filled with pain, suffering, and sorrow. The second noble truth is that suffering is caused by attachment. The third noble truth being that to overcome that, you have to overcome desire. And the fourth noble truth is that in order to do that, you follow the eightfold path. The eightfold path being you have to basically live your life in the right way and detach yourself from the illusion of the world. The right way of doing things, basically to look at stuff right, to have the right kind of intention, the right speech, the right action, the right livelihood, right effort, mindfulness, and concentration. And basically this is, you know, it's the meaning of life, essentially to Hindus in a regular sense. And the Aguris like we said, try to kind of fast track their ascent to moksha or nirvana by looking at it as like these, you know, with the Eightfold Path are like nooses that, that we were talking about off mic, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they see basically that there's these 
eight great nooses or bonds that basically cover every person's soul. And again, they what they espouse is that, you know, you're taught these ideas of purity, of impurity, of the sacred and profane. And so you've got, you know, this dualistic system where you've got, you know, good and you've got evil. And they don't believe in that. They eschew that. They transcend past that. And so the eight great nooses or bonds are things like sensual pleasure, anger, greed, obsession, fear, hatred, basically the things you're supposed to be learning to break free from. And they say, no, like that you're being taught, you know, the wrong things, you know, embrace these things. And then you'll learn that this dualistic system is something that basically man has made and you'll move past that. And it's the left way of living. They say like the right way of living, like left and right. The right way of living is the traditional more assured path to get to where you're trying to be the left path the left way of living is the fast track so but if you do it wrong you can fuck yourself up a lot more actually. yeah they they usually refer to it i believe as the way of the left hand and again in many cultures left-handedness is something that is looked at as profane unclean in india in and of itself the left hand you never eat with the left hand you never touch food with the left hand because the left hand is what you use to clean your ass with so no matter how much soap and water you use it's always going to be putrid and disgusting interestingly it's in the quran as well you're only you're supposed to eat with one hand and wipe yourself with the other you even find that ideal and that uh, that belief system is in places like Japan. Japan had the same idea that the left hand was always soiled, and both hands really you know tend to be soiled, and therefore you never eat with your hands, but especially the left hand. But I mean, we didn't always have Purell. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> So for you at home, we always try to give you these dark tourism suggestions and the city of Varanasi. You take the Pineapple Express to get there. It's up on Cypress Hill, but it's not. So it is, <laughs> it's the holy city of the Aghori. It's also a major spiritual capital, spiritual capital. Thank you. Of yep. India itself. And there are pilgrimages there, not just by the Aghori, but, but by others as well. And so you've got this temple of Kamakya that's there. And in the Hindu religious tradition, I mean, it's a very complex religion, but they um, apparently had built the temple there. When Kamakya was cut into over 100 pieces, this is where her genitals fell. Much like in the Islamic tradition, pre-Islamic, where the meteor fell in Arabia and it became a pilgrimage site to pre-Muslim tribes. And after the advent of, uh, of Islam, they continued going there to Mecca as the Kaaba and everybody pilgrimages there. Um, they do the same thing here in India. And so people will pilgrimage here to where not the a meteor fell and something was built, but the genitals of Kamakya were supposed to have fallen there. And during the monsoon every year, you go there, there's a huge festival and they close the temple for like three days. And on the fourth day, open it again and symbolically everybody goes in the agori are here and they go in and moisten uh, a cloth and symbolically it's supposed to be her menstrual blood at least to the agori it is and so this is where the agori's 
really like sage founder um, is, is buried as well. And I know, Brittany, you had a little bit more on the the burial, I think. Well, the tomb of their founder is located uh, in this city. And so they, at least for the Gori, this is also another reason why this is a sacred site for them, that their founder's tomb is there. So they go and they also pay pilgrimage to the tomb. Yeah, yeah, dark tourism and, and necklaces made of uh, bones and stuff. Like that. Yeah, and I mean, so the Aguri are definitely in this city. It's a sacred city for them. And so in more recent years, as they're as they become more well-known, or at least for kind of like our dark tourists or people who are visiting the city, they sometimes actually go looking for the Aguri. And typically they find them by looking for these, these men uh, who are usually naked or don't have a lot of clothes on with the long hair, as you talked about, they typically wear some type of jewelry that is usually depicted as being literal human skulls. So like a necklace of human skulls around their neck. So the Agori are at least are, they know that tourists are looking for them. So they sometimes actually like feed into this whole image and like will yell invectives and curses at the tourists and everything which of course just makes the tourists want to seek them out more and it kind of builds into this whole image and everything and because this is important i think because one of the other things too is that at least according to the agoria at least from the articles i was able to read is that they don't reveal their actual sacred or or secret rituals to people who are not members of the agori so there are a lot of things that they don't reveal to people that are hidden and so they kind of emphasize kind of this, like, I don't want to say, like, negative image, but this image of, like, nakedness and the skulls and, like, the cursing and, like, the drinking. And they, they played that up without actually revealing. Well, they're embracing the profane, the, uh, the duality, uh, in trying to say there is no duality, but they're embracing the profane of the duality, you know, as part of their way to really get re- get past this. But in doing that, again, for most people, that's what they see, that they're embracing the, the, this side of impurity, of, of, of death, of dying. Of, but the tourists, know, they see the shock value. Yeah, the shock value. Right, which exactly. is why like all these articles and these videos and, and documentaries, like they always kind of dramatize and the sensationalize. Cannibal, the cannibalism, yeah. the necrophilia. <laughs> yeah, if, you've, like, re- if like, you Google Agori, like it's going to come up like the cannibalistic like sect who like, you know, screws the dead and it's like... Wears human bones around their neck. <laughs> yeah, they get to all like these really kind of like things that are rejected by, I think, most societies today. But these are guys that I don't want serving my fries. We're teaching my kids in like kindergarten definitely (laughs) yeah and so like they they sensationalize all this and they they do sometimes downplay like the actual religious reasoning of why they do these things and that also these individuals travel around and they do help people who are typically outcasted in society so you have heard it here on Grim, the most extreme anthropological individuals on, I think, the planet today, at least for the shock value of it, the Aguri Sadas. Uh, Sadas meaning holy people. Necromancy, black magic, and dark tourism. You've been listening to Grim. The most extreme badass histories in anthropology that you've wanted, but motherfuckers just don't give. We are the only people with this information, or at least some of the people with this information, and we want to give it to you. History professor motherfuckers telling you what's up, like it really is, and the way that you want to hear it. Dark histories, 
anthropology folklore from real educated motherfuckers that care. You like this shit? Tell a friend. Support us on our Patreon. Visit us at grimphilly.com backslash podcast. The shit is free, so you can consider maybe throwing us like 25 cents. If we don't start breaking even at some point, this shit will end. We, motherfuckers of the macabre, run twisted-ass grim history and ghost tours in the city of Philadelphia as well. Like all the regular tour companies that aren't shit-talking history professors like us, with the who-fucked-who of founding fathers and might have killed some motherfuckers. COVID has smacked us down, and we want to give a shout-out to our original 200 OGs, original Grimm's, who, like, literally saved us from bankruptcies. And some of the people are from literally every single continent. So we want to give a shout-out to a few of our patrons already who have supported our tours when COVID hit. We weren't allowed to run like a lot of the other tours. Uh, and so, Brittany, uh, you want to read maybe a couple of the, you know, just start. I think there was literally like 200 people who have donated at least to our tours. And that helped us to jumpstart getting these podcasts off the ground that we will continue for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So a big shout out and thank you to Girl Scout Troop 21277, George Panagos, Donna Winner, Chris Scholl, Mary Sunderhoff, Selena Adams, Rebecca Barker, Angela Montoni, Alicia Laman, Robert Moyer, Cassiopeia Ligon, Hillary Werner, Selena Adams, Victoria Smith, Seema Gandhi, Steffi H., Dawn Liebcap, Joey Mancusco, Pamela Crescenjo, and I am so sorry if I'm butchering any of your names, Travis Lilleberg, Ali McGinnon, Andy Capone, Jessica Gans, Lisa DeGory, Caitlin Beck, Ann Morris, Kim Hugh, Ann Schindel, Thomas A. Heckler, Megan McDonald, Karen King, Laura Landis, Robert LaBelle, Linda W., Chanel Charisse, Suzanne Bonner, Franny Arango, Christine Chan, Luke the Spook, Kay, Crystal Evans, Audrey Pierce, Thomas Jeffers, John Lee, Deborah, Stefan Stefan, Jen Cast, Juliana Colon, Jason Harris, Linda Wolf, Marjorie Cohn, Rue Hickson, Barb Nestor, Liz, Beverly Russell, Paul Minster, Kimberly Klingle, Sean Flecken, Amanda, Danielle Cabral, Doralee Bonner, Lee and EJ LaGreca, Marissa Young, Rachel Barrett, Rebecca Milana, Mary Griffer, Katie Bradley, Kevin McLaughlin, Mallory Temple, Marilyn Bradshaw, Bev Bowers, Eric and Susan Heil, Elena Zaccardi, Rob Gorman, Diane Benton, George Burnett and Shelley Terrazas, Lance Hamlet, Caleb Mizzle, Sammy Dixon, Danielle Bannon, Lauren Rose, Sydney Kaysen, Graham Small, Eric Shire, Sarah Son, Misty Bivens, Cheryl Heston, Liz Dratman, a lot of people. We love every so one many. of you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are fucking awesome. Thank you, guys. You got more? We have there more? are more, yeah. This is literally bringing me back to my high school days where I had to do announcements and just list people, and then I got to walk the hallways where everybody was laughing because I just mispronounced so many people's names, and I am so sorry <laughs> once again. 
But yeah, also, again, a shout out and a thank you to Deanna, Christina Venezuela, Leslie Jackson, Bobby Thomas, Susanna Mendoza, Craig Gaston, Becky McDowell, Yadarina Bologna, Kim Hartman, Heidi Garris, Mike McGeever, Cindy and Vance Sullivan, Cheryl Ballard, Kristen Soder, Frank and Corey Cole, Cherry Crawford, Amanda McFadden, Teresa Bragado, Stefan Rosenblatt, Mark Storms, Anne-Marie Ryder, James Barrett, Vanessa Mollis, Kathy Hobson, Jen Haldis, Pola K, Jennifer Lenardi, Jim Marshall, Mary Porter, Jasmine Ray, Donna Carcel, Mary Migalozzi, Anya Saretzi, Elliot Farrell, Mary Margaritas, LG, Samantha O'Connor, Donis Roman, Doris Roman, I'm sorry, Doris Roman, Colleen Buston, Deborah Levy, Janine Reagan, Kathy Mackerpole, Jennifer Eppenshade, Megan Steubenberg, Amy Thackera, Martha McShaw, Kevin Rowan, Heather Hughes, Dakota Meredith, Tracy J. Conahanton, Regina Milner, Edward Wagner, Dan, Dan C., Christy Kenny Quinn, Kimberly Getz, Rachel Bunting, Jonathan Soto, Carrie Gavin, Sue Rock, Mark Mule, Brittany Newland, Kathleen Kimzak, Sandy Stevens, Nancy Char Jones, Sarah Kaufman, Jacqueline Francis, Rebecca De La Garza, Chris Spector, Megan Thomas, Olivia C., Christy Latham, Carolyn West, Angela Rando, David Black, Samantha Wertheimer, Marie Whitman, Joseph A. I'm not even going to try. I'm so sorry, Joseph. And finally, Melissa J. Meisel, <clears throat> Brenda Kennedy, Sarah Scott, Aaron Sullivan, Lynn Sr., Lyndon Klein, Nick Capolina, Sarah, and Ginger Delk McCall. All right. We love you, motherfuckers. You guys are great. Um, my co-host, historian Brittany Smith, cultural anthropologist Sylvanius R. Dustin Cushman, and I am your humble servant, your motherfucker of the macabre, Professor Joe Woji. Join us next week, same grim time, same grim channel, for more badass histories and extreme grim here. We'll see you next time. I was found here.